Hello there, and welcome to the Hales Owen Apostolic Church. Apostolic meaning what God says, not what man does. Please enjoy this teaching and feel free to share it with all who will listen. May you go forth in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I can't remember how long it was now that the, the Queen died, but um, I was doing the hosting of the Sunday the day after she died and I'd actually already got something prepared but I said some of the Queen's virtues or one of them in particular that she had it would have made a good introduction and that was she, had, she was such a loyal Queen anyway as I was thinking about what to talk about today I thought I'm going to revert back and talk about loyalty because it's something that you perhaps don't hear that often spoken about but there's two really classic examples in the Bible and those are those are what I'm going to focus on today and so it's a bit, bit more of a, a story based sermon than just verse after verse um, it, 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 it's, it's understanding the stories of them and the, the characters involved and the loyalty they showed to the other parties in those examples. So the first one I'm going to talk about is the relationship between Ruth and Naomi. So, to give you a bit of context, Ruth was the Moabite daughter-in-law of a Jewess named Naomi. They were living in Moab when both of their husbands died. Now, Naomi had planned to return to Israel and encourage Ruth to stay in Moab and return to her mother's family because she thought there would be nothing for Ruth in Judah. So, so Naomi's doing the sort of thing, she's trying to say, do what's right for you. Anyway, rather than heed Naomi's advice, Ruth begged Naomi to allow her to emigrate to Judah. Ruth's statement of fidelity is actually quite touching. And this is Ruth 1, 16 to 17. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Wherever, where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if death separates you and me. What, what fantastic words of commitment there are there, you know, and you can understand why that is actually a, a very, very common passage that's often used in uh, wedding vows actually, many people will have that said at their wedding and it shows that deep loyalty that Ruth had for Naomi they were clearly family, they'd lived closely for some time due to Ruth's marriage to Naomi's son so they'd developed a strong relationship prior to this decision by Ruth to go to Israel with her mother-in-law so it says that Ruth left her father and her mother and her homeland 
and came to live with a people she did not know before. She, Ruth cared enough for Naomi to forsake her homeland and help provide for Naomi with no guarantee of security for herself. Massive thing to do, isn't it? That's that leap of, that leap of faith, you know. Ruth expressed her loyalty to Naomi in a solemn vow, calling judgment upon herself if she ever left her. Ruth also made a commitment to follow Naomi's God as well. She would abandon the gods of Moab, and Ruth and Naomi would be committed to the one true God of Israel. Significantly, when Ruth said, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me, she uses the covenant name Yahweh. Naomi was convinced Ruth was serious. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. With Ruth's decision made, Ruth and Naomi set out for Bethlehem together. The story of Ruth and Naomi is contrasted with that of Orpah and Naomi. Orpah was Ruth's sister-in-law, having been married to another of Naomi's sons. When Naomi bade her daughters-in-law farewell, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and returned to her family. Naomi tried to use Orpah's departure as the initial incentive for Ruth to also stay in Moab. Look, your sister is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth chose the path of loyalty to her mother-in-law, even if it meant giving up everything she was used to. The story of Ruth and Naomi shows what true loyalty is like. In addition to loyalty, Ruth exhibited respect, love, friendship, and humility. Just as Ruth chose loyalty to Naomi and to Naomi's God, so should we choose loyalty to God and to God's people over any commitment to the world. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Jesus said, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's Matthew 6.33. Ruth's loyalty was actually followed then by the provision of many blessings. The story of Ruth and Naomi is an important one, not just because of loyalty modeled by Ruth, but because of the way it reveals the sovereignty of God. In Bethlehem, the Lord allowed Ruth to remarry and give birth to a son named Obed who became the grandfather to King David. Despite Ruth's non-Jewish outsider status, God worked through her life to change the history of the world. Indeed, and in respect of David, here is another fabulous example of loyalty and friendship.
the battle was over and quiet descended over the valley of Elah. As the tents of the army encampment rustled in the afternoon breeze, King Saul held an audience. His eldest son, Jonathan, was in attendance, and a youthful shepherd was excitedly recounting his tale. The youth was David, and he was full of zeal and enthusiasm. Saul listened with avid attention, hanging on to David's every word. How, though, did Jonathan feel? He himself had won victories in his long career of serving in God's army. But today's victory did not belong to Jonathan. It belonged to this youth. It is, of course, the day that David had killed the giant Goliath. Was Jonathan jealous of the glory being heaped on David? Interesting one, that. Jonathan's reaction might surprise you. We read, As soon as David finished speaking to Saul, Jonathan and David became bound together in close friendship, and Jonathan began to love him as himself. No jealousy there. Straight in, he wanted that relationship with David. Jonathan gave David his own fighting gear, including his bow. This was quite a gift because Jonathan himself was a renowned archer. What is more, Jonathan and David made, made a covenant, a solemn agreement that bound them together as friends who would support each other. Thus began one of the greatest friendships described in the whole of the Bible. Friendship is, of course, important to people of faith. If we choose friends wisely and become a supportive, loyal friend, we can strengthen our faith during these unloving times. And there's plenty of unloving times at the moment. So let us see what we can learn about friendship and loyalty from Jonathan. How could such a friendship form so quickly? The answer has to do with the basis for that friendship. Consider some background to this story. Jonathan was living through a difficult time. His father, King Saul, had been changing over the years, and he was changing for the worse. Once a humble, obedient man of faith, Saul had become an arrogant, disobedient king. These changes, as you can imagine, must have troubled Saul, that's troubled Jonathan deeply, as would happen with any father-son relationship. And he was close to his father. Jonathan probably wondered what harm Saul could bring on God's chosen nature, nation. Might the king's disobedience lead his subjects astray and cost them God's favor? 
without a doubt, this was an incredibly hard time for a man of faith like Jonathan. This background would help us understand what drew Jonathan to the young David. Jonathan saw David's great faith. Remember, unlike those in Saul's army, David was undaunted by the giant Goliath's colossal size. He reasoned that going into battle, bearing God's name, made him more powerful than Goliath with all his weaponry. Years earlier, Jonathan had reasoned similarly. He was convinced that two men, him and his armor bearer, could attack and defeat an entire garrison of armed soldiers. Why? Because nothing can hinder God, Jonathan said. So Jonathan and David had much in common. A strong faith in God and a deep love for him. That was the ideal basis for the friendship between the two men. <clears throat> Even though Jonathan was a mighty prince and nearing 50 years of age, while David was a humble shepherd and likely not yet 20 years old, the differences between them did not matter. The covenant they made was a real protection for their friendship. How so? You see, David knew what God had in store for him. He was ready, he was to become the next king of Israel. Did he withhold that knowledge from Jonathan? No. A good friendship such as theirs thrived on open communication, not on secrets and lies. How might learning of David's prospects have affected Jonathan? What if Jonathan had cherished a hope of becoming king one day and righting his father's wrongs? The Bible tells us nothing about any internal struggle Jonathan may have had. It tells only of what truly matters, Jonathan's loyalty and his faith. He could see that God's spirit was with David. So Jonathan fulfilled his oath and continued to view David, not as his rival, but as his friend. Jonathan wanted to see God's will done. Jonathan and David had in common that strong faith in God and a deep love for him. And their friendship turned out to be a truly great blessing. What can we then learn from Jonathan's faith? Any servant of God does well to see the value of friendship. Our friends need not match our age or our background, but they can do us enormous good if they have genuine faith. Jonathan and David were able to strengthen and encourage each other many times. And they would both need such help for their friendship was about to face even greater tests. Dun, 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 dun.
At first, Saul was very fond of David and placed him in charge of his army. Before long, though, Saul fell victim to the very enemy that failed to conquer Jonathan. Jealousy. David met with victory after victory against Israel and Israel's enemies, the Philistines. David thus won praise and admiration. Some women of Israel even sang, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Imagine how that's starting to wind him up. Saul did not like that song, as you can imagine. From that day on, we read, Saul was always looking at David suspiciously. He feared that David would try to take his kingship away from him. But that was foolish on Saul's part. True, David knew that he was to succeed Saul, but he never even considered supplanting God's anointed king while the man still reigned. So he was never going to try and take over while Saul was still the king. <clears throat> Saul had other plans, so he schemed to get David killed in battle. But nothing worked. David kept winning these battles and growing in the esteem of the people. Saul's next move was to try to unite his household, all his servants and his eldest son, in a plot to kill David. Imagine how sick at heart Jonathan must have been to see his father acting in this way. Jonathan was a loyal son, but he was also a loyal friend. Now that those two loyalties seem to be in conflict, which one would win out? Jonathan spoke up. The king should not sin against his servant, David, for he has not sinned against you, and what he has done for you has benefited you. He risked his life to strike down the Philistine so that God brought about a great victory for all Israel. You saw it. You were absolutely overjoyed. So why should you sin against the innocent blood in having David put to death for no reason? Yeah. Well done, Jonathan. That's it. Yeah. You explain it. You remind him. You know, come on. Just what, just what he should have done. And in a rare moment of reasonableness, Saul listened to Jonathan and even swore not to harm David. But at this point, Saul was not a man of his word. After David had even more successes, by this time Saul was so full of jealous rage that he hurled a spear at him. But David managed to escape and fled from Saul's court. I guess we've all faced conflicting loyalties, perhaps not to the extent of the one we've just heard. And we know how painful it can be. You know, in such situations, some would advise that you've, your family 
should always come first. But Jonathan knew better. How could he side with his father when David was a loyal, obedient servant of God? So Jonathan let his loyalty to God rule his decision. That was why he stood up for David. Still, although Jonathan's loyalty to God came first, he proved loyal to his father by counseling him honestly instead of telling him what he wanted to hear. All of us in this room today would benefit by imitating the way Jonathan showed loyalty. Jonathan tried once again to reconcile Saul with David, but he had even less success. David came to Jonathan in secret, revealing that he feared for his own life. There is only a step between me and death, he told his older friend. Jonathan agreed to test out his father's feeling on the matter and to let David know where things stood. While David hid, Jonathan would signal him the news by using a bow and arrows. Jonathan asked only that David swear to this promise. Never withdraw your loyal love from my household, even when God wipes out all the enemies of David from the face of the earth. David agreed that he would always look out for those of Jonathan's household. Jonathan tried to speak well of David to Saul, but the king became enraged. He called Jonathan a son, he called Jonathan son of a rebellious woman and derided his loyalty to David as shameful to the family. He tried to appeal to Jonathan's self-interest. As long as the son of Jesse is alive on the earth, you and your kingship will not be firmly established. Unmoved, however, Jonathan again pleaded with his father. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Saul exploded in violence. Though aged, Saul was still a mighty warrior. He hurled a spear at his son. Practiced though he might have been, luckily he missed. Deeply hurt and humiliated, Jonathan left in anger. The next morning, Jonathan went out into the field near David's hiding place. He fired off an arrow as agreed, letting David know that Saul was still intent on killing him. Then Jonathan sent his attendant back into the city. He and David were alone, so they had a fleeting chance to talk. Both men wept, and Jonathan sadly saw his young friend off as David started his new life as a refugee. Yeah. 
Jonathan's loyalty passed the test of self-interest. Satan, the enemy of all faithful people, would surely have loved to see Jonathan following Saul's steps and put his own ambitions for power or glory first. Isn't that right? Isn't that what the devil wants you to happen? Remember, Satan loves to appeal to the selfish inclinations of humans. He succeeded with the very first people in the Bible, Adam and Eve. Yet, he failed with Jonathan. How frustrated he must have been. Can we resist similar attempts? We live in times when selfishness is epidemic. Will we learn from Jonathan's selfless, loyal spirit? Saul's hatred for David grew into an obsession. Jonathan became helpless as he watched his father descend into a kind of madness. Amassing his army and leading it around the country, seeking to destroy just one innocent man. Did Jonathan take part? Interestingly, the scriptures don't mention him in connection with any of those misguided campaigns. But Jonathan's loyalty to God and to David and to his own oath of friendship actually made it impossible. His feelings for his young friend never changed. In time, he found a way to meet David again. It was in a place called Horesh, which means the wooded place. It was in a wild, mountainous region, mountainous region, probably a few miles out of Hebron. Why did Jonathan risk going out to see this fugitive. The Bible tells us, 1 Samuel 23, 16, that his motive was to help David find strength in God. How did Jonathan do, do this? Do not be afraid, he told David. He added this reassurance. My father Saul will not find you. On, on what was that reassurance based? How could he be so confident that that was going to be the situation? Well, on Jonathan's deep faith that God's purpose would succeed, he went on, you will be king over Israel. The prophet Samuel had been commissioned to say that years earlier. And Jonathan now reminded David that God's word is always reliable. And what about Jonathan's own future? How did he see that? I will become second to you. What priceless humility the man showed. He would be content to serve under the command of a man who was 30 years his junior to serve as his supportive right hand. Jonathan concluded, my father Saul also knows that. In his heart, 
Saul knew that he was doomed to lose his fight against the man God had chosen to be the next king. In the years that followed, David surely looked back often and fondly on that meeting. It was their last. Sadly, Jonathan's hope to become second to David was never realized. Jonathan went into battle at his father's side against the Philistines, avowed enemies of Egypt, avowed enemies of Israel. He could fight alongside his father in good conscience, for he did not let his father's wrongs get in the way of his own service to God. He fought bravely and loyally, as he always had, but the battle still went badly for Israel. Saul's wickedness had extended even to spiritism, a capital offence under God's law. So Jehovah and God was no longer a blessing to Saul. Three of Saul's sons in those battles, including Jonathan, were killed. Saul was wounded and took his own life. David was stricken with grief. The big-hearted man even grieved for Saul, who had caused him so much misery and hardship. Just, you'd have thought, you'd have, yes, he's dark, he's out of the way, but no, that was not David. Perhaps the most touching words relate to David's beloved mentor and his friend. I am distressed over you, my brother Jonathan. You were very dear to me. More wonderful was your love to me than the love of women. That's quite an amazing thing to say. David never forgot his vow to Jonathan. Years later, he sought out and took care of Jonathan's disabled son. Clearly, David had learned much from Jonathan's loyalty and honor and his willingness to stick loyally to a friend even when such loyalty came at a high price. Will we learn such lessons as well? Can we seek out friends like Jonathan? Can we show such friendship ourselves? If we help our friends to build and strengthen their faith in God, if we put our loyalty to God first, and if we remain loyal instead of seeking our own interests, we will be the kind of friend that Jonathan was, and we will imitate his faith. So, in summary, while loyalty in friendship is beautiful and inspiring, the most important loyalty to anybody, anyone's life is to Christ, the one who loved us so much that he died so we could have abundant life. Jesus asks for our ultimate loyalty above our spouse, above our children and parents, above our friends. 
above our country and above any other cause, including our own lives. While loyalty to people is good, loyalty to our God will bring the most life to ourselves and those around us. We must always make sure that our loyalties are in the right order. Love God, then love people. If we do this, then the other areas of our lives will all be in the right order. Amen.